All right, we're going to go ahead and look at our passage today, which is Acts chapter 2, Acts 2, 42 through 47. Just go ahead and look at that. All right, here's what it is. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property, and everyone distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. They broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who are being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just uh, acknowledge right now that we have been uh, gathered together in your presence to hear your word and to worship you as we just sang. Lord, and and, uh, that is our heart's desire. Our heart's desire is to know you, to see you, to experience you, to trust you, and to be molded and shaped into the image of your son, the Lord Jesus. I pray you would use these words that go out of my mouth uh, to perform that task in Christ's name. Amen. So we are uh, in the middle of a sermon series uh, called Family Tradition, and we've done this the past couple years, um, really just looking at what does the Bible say uh, we should be as a church? What kind of church ought we to be according to uh, the scriptures? So last week we talked about how we want to be clear about the gospel. The word gospel simply means good news. It is the message of the scriptures. The message of the scriptures is the gospel. It is the good news of what God has done for us through through, uh, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. This week we want to think about the church being family. Because this is one of the main ways that the Bible talks about church uh, is as a family. So, uh, and that's what we see in our passage this morning. Acts chapter 2 is like the birth of the church, the beginning of the church, so to speak, and they acted like family. And uh, this family can be described like um, three legs on a stool, right? If you've got a stool with three legs, you need all three, don't you? Yeah, if you've you got one that's, you know, a little cattywampus, uh, you sit down on that thing, you're going down. You know, so you need all those things. So everything that we're going to look at in this passage, we need all three. So the first is learning. They were a learning church. Look at verse uh, 42 again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You see that? The word teaching there is the, actually the word doctrine. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. Doctrine is just another word for teaching. So that's a good, that's a good uh, translation. So this church family, the early church, was devoted to learning the apostles' doctrine, what it is they taught and they believed. Now, notice that is the first thing on that list. You see that? The apostles' teaching, which can be found in the second part of the Bible, which is in the New Testament, um, is like uh, a vital organ. You can't live without those, by the way. You can't live without your uh, vital organs. Now, there are some organs that you can live without. Uh, you guys want to hear a list of them? Okay, yeah, yeah. So if you're like, eh, I don't want that, then here, here it is. Um, yeah, you can live without one of your lungs, a kidney, your spleen, appendix, gallbladder, and this is not an organ, but I thought it was interesting, six of your ribs. 
You can live without all those things. Um, but a church cannot live without the apostles' teaching. It is dead, right? Doctrine, uh, healthy doctrine, is the beating heart of the church. It is where it gets its life uh, and health. So having a healthy heart as a church, right, means gobbling up the good stuff that's in the Scriptures. The good stuff that's in the, in the Bible, it is eating that good food, um, so, you know, what's interesting about Acts chapter 2 is we have, we have an example of an apostle teaching the Bible. Yeah, so that's how the church got started. That's how the church got birthed. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, Jesus has risen from the dead. He pours out his spirit on the church, uh, which was a sign that God was fulfilling all his promises that he made long ago in the first part of the Bible, that this new age had dawned in Christ, and one of the apostles stood up, there's thousands of people, and said, all right, let me tell you all what's going down right now. Here it is. And Peter preached this amazing uh, sermon. There's a, a Bible scholar, a guy named John Stott, um, who points out that Peter t- taught six things about Jesus in his uh, sermon, and here they are. Number one, Jesus of Nazareth was a man who had a ministry of miracles. Number two, despite all the good things that he did, he was put to death by a wicked man, But this was all a part of God's definite plan. Number three, Jesus was raised from the dead, as the prophets have foretold, and as the the apostles were eyewitnesses to. Number four, Jesus was exalted to God's right hand. From there, he poured out the Spirit onto the church. Number five, Jesus now gives forgiveness of sins and the Spirit for all who repent, believe, and are baptized. And number six, and then he adds them to his new community, the church, which is God's family. This is the apostles' doctrine. This is what Peter taught. So this church was a learning church. Learning begins with receiving. It is hard to learn anything unless you're not receptive. So the question is, is that you? Are are you receptive? Um, I want you to see how this crowd responded to Peter's message. Look at what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse uh, 37 to 38. So Peter preached this sermon, those six things, this big crowd. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter said, Peter replied, repent. That means stop living your life as if you were God and you were in control of your life and you can live however you want. And be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What is your response to this message? Jesus, the God-man, his ministry, miracles, his death on the cross for sins, his burials, resurrection from the, the fact that Jesus is, is Lord over all of reality, and he's calling the shots. The history is, is what God is doing through him. What's your response uh, to that? Are you receptive like this crowd? Some of you in this room have been hearing this message for a while now, and it's time to do exactly what this crowd did. Or maybe you're hearing it for the first time right now. It's time to come to Jesus, to receive him, and to repent of trying to control your life apart from God. Come and be baptized and join this church family. That's just what it is. That's what, this, that's what it looked like for them to learn the apostles. They were receptive. They said, all right, what do we got to do? Come, believe, be baptized. That's what happened. And you never go, the timing is perfect here. The timing is perfect because we're going to celebrate baptisms next week. 
All right, so you can get baptized like next week uh, if you uh, sign up today. How about that? What an offer. Yeah, yeah, you can do that next week. And it says here in this passage that they, um, they were to come and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. You see that? Right, for the forgiveness of sins. The word for has various different usages, right? And so here the word for means because of the forgiveness of sins, okay? Right? We don't get baptized to get forgiven. Like, God, I'm going to come and I'm going to get in some water and then you're going to forgive me, right? No, that's, that's not what this is saying right here. We are forgiven when we believe in Jesus, and then we get baptized. That's why we get baptized because out of God's great love for us, his great mercy for us in Christ, right, that we want to get baptized. We want to identify with him and say to the world, hey, I believe in Jesus. I believe all this is true, and he's forgiven me. So next Sunday, when folks up here are getting baptized, here's what's going on. That is a sermon for your eyeballs. Right? It, is, it is preaching to you, hey, these people, their sins have been washed away, They've been raised up by the power of the Spirit, and they've been given um, new life in Christ. Jesus Christ came into the world, lived and died and rose so that you could be forgiven. That's why he came. He came so that you could be forgiven and be restored and be reconciled unto God. So this is the promise of the gospel. So no matter who you are in this room, you need to do exactly what this right here says. You need to repent of your sins. This is the Christian life. It is turning away from sin. It is stopping it. And it is turning and trusting Christ that you are forgiven now and you are following him, that you are one of God's children. That's how learning begins, by receiving. But learning continues in the church through teaching, through the teaching of the apostles. This is what we're about as a church, by the way, if you're trying to figure it out. We are about what the apostles taught. This is what the early church did. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. So we want to be devoted to the apostles' uh, teaching uh, as well. Now, some people wrongly think that because they become a Christian and maybe they have a Bible and they have the Holy Spirit, that they don't need teachers in the church. I hear that from time to time, right? All I need is my Bible and whatever, right? My question is, well, okay, if you believe in the Holy Spirit and you believe in the Bible— or do you believe the Spirit inspired the Bible? Because if he did, then that makes him a liar, that you don't need teachers in the church. Because the Holy Spirit teaches us in the Bible that he gifts the church with teachers for our benefit. And I'll show you this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. And he himself gave, this is the Spirit giving through Christ to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, look at this pastors and teachers for the benefit of the church to equip the saints, that's Christians, for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ. So the job of teachers in the church is to teach the apostles' doctrine. Right? And when that happens, when the church is, is teaching what the apostles taught, the fruit of that, what is born out of that, is a loving church community. Look, look at the, this, is, this is the second leg on the stool. Love it. Right? Look at this. 242, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, check this out, to the fellowship. See that? They devoted themselves to the fellowship. The New Testament, the second part of the Bible, was written in Greek, right? And the word fellowship comes from another word that means common. 
Now, the word, the word common means what we share as Christians, what we share uh, together uh, as a church. See, this is what families do. Families uh, share with one another. So when we eat, uh, like, chicken wings at my house, uh, my girls, man, they leave so much, on, and so much good things on the chicken wings. So I eat all my wings. I, I clean them and say there ain't nothing left on them. The bones are, are lucky themselves, right? And uh, so then I get, I get like a whole nother set of wings that when I put all their, theirs together, they leave all the little wing tips, you know what I'm saying? The little crispies. <laughs> I just eat them up, crunch them, swallow them. It's fabulous, yeah. Yeah, but they share with me. What is it that we share as a church? What is it that we share? How about this? How about God? God is our Father. This is what makes us a family is the fact that we have a Father, all of us, in Christ. We have the same Father. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. This is, this is the Apostle John. This is the Apostle's teaching. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you. What's he talking about? We saw Jesus. We heard Jesus. We touched Jesus. We, and we, 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 we teach and preach that so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with this Son, Jesus Christ. That is so beautiful. Um, I have several friends that have uh, adopted kids, and it is such a beautiful thing. And it's such a big need, especially here in the state of West Virginia. We have such a great need of kids in the, in the foster care system and in and, and need of adoption. But these kids uh, were adopted, and they didn't have a home. But now they do. They didn't have a mom, dad, brother, sister, or family. But now they do, and it's an absolutely beautiful thing. And see, this is what God has done for us as Christians. We just sang about it. We were lost. We were blind. We were in the darkness, and God brought us out. So come and see. Right? There's, a, there's a song uh, by King's Kaleidoscope. It's called Grace Alone, and uh, it talks about this. Here's what it says. I was an orphan lost at the fall, running away when I'd hear you call. And that's all of us. All of us, because of sin, run away from God. God is calling out to us, and we're like, I'm going to do my own thing, God. Uh, we run away from him, and we become lost. We become orphans, right? We don't come into this world naturally like children of God. No. Look, look what it says. But, Father, you worked your will. In other words, God accomplished his plan of saving me, right? I had no righteousness of own. There's no, no goodness in us uh, by which God says, hey, you're my child. It's not because of us. I had no right to draw near your throne, but Father, you love me still. That is so beautiful. This is what God does for us as a, as a family. God loves us despite us being very unlovely. We are all natural-born sinners running away from God, but God loved us. And he sent his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, on a rescue mission to come and to find us, to bring us home. And listen, because we have been shown so much love by God, God loved us so much and so great that he would send his own son to suffer and die for us. Here's what we do in return. We love him in return. We don't love him to get his love. He loved us, and therefore we love him. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Yeah, it comes out of our heart. We love him. And here's the evidence. Here is the proof that you love him. Do you want to 
put your love for God up to a diagnostic and test it out? Do you love his children? That's the test. Do you love his family? If you don't love his family, you don't, you don't know him. You don't have a heart for him. Right? You, you, your love for God is tested by your love for the church, for his people. Look at uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or speech, talk, but in action and in truth. How can we do that? How can we do that as a church family? How can we uh, truly love each other as, as family? Well, families have family gatherings. That's one way. Fourth uh, of July recently, and uh, my mom had everyone over for dinner. She had a beautiful spread uh, of food. Chicken wings were involved. It was fabulous. And we had a wonderful dinner, and all our family got together. And that's what families do. Can you imagine a family that doesn't get together? That's not a, that's not a healthy family. You've got to be around one another to love one another. This is exactly what this church is doing in our passage. I'll show you. Look at verse 46. Every day, every day they devoted themselves to meeting together. They were together. Broke bread from house to house. They knew what the inside of each other's houses looked like. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. So it... Uh, the early church began in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where the, the temple was. Uh, Israel um, gathered there uh, for worship. So it was a big meeting space. So the church had this wonderful meeting space that they could, all of them could get up in and, and they could do what God had uh, commanded them to do, to do what the apostles were telling them they ought to do. That is to get together, to sing, to preach, and uh, to pray. So that's why they got together in the temple. They also got together in the temple because they all couldn't fit up in Peter's house. There was 3,120 people at this point. That was God's plan, right? Sorry if some of them said we want a small church. God wanted 3,120 on the first day. So uh, it's hard to love 3,000 people. But 30 is doable. So they got together in each other's houses. There was a large gathering at the temple, then there were small gatherings in, uh, in people's homes. And that's exactly what we want to do as a church. Right here is our large gathering, right? But we also want to have smaller gatherings where we can actually know each other as human beings, like know each other's names and stuff, what we got going on, how we can pray for each other, you know what I mean, eat together, break bread, all these different things. Um, and those are called community groups. Community groups are the place where this church becomes real family. I mentioned last week that uh, I had recently met some family of mine from Texas. I didn't even know them before that. But then we had a gathering at my house, a memorial for my, uh, my grandmother, and we got to eat dinner and hang out, and I got to know them, and now I get to go hunting uh, uh, deer on their ranch in Texas. Mm. Yeah, see, it's good to get to know your family, right? There might be some benefit you can get out. Um, community group is where we get to know each other, love each other, and serve one another. See, when we gather together as a community group, as community groups, it's not just about the Bible study. It's about the dinner and the people because church is a family. And, and, and talking with one another and asking Albert, how was your week, Albert? How are you doing? You know? Stuff like that, being a real family. Families also look out for each other, don't they? 
says that this church devoted themselves to the fellowship. Now, I can't hear the word fellowship without thinking about uh, J.R. Tolkien's uh, uh, The Lord of the Rings. So, nerd alert up here. Yeah, uh, nerd alert. We've got another nerd back there. And uh, the first book in that trilogy or movies is uh, The Fellowship of the Ring. And it's this group of unlikely um, friends that go on this epic journey, dangerous journey, and they are supposed to look out for each other. Now, again, the word fellowship here in our passage comes from another Greek word that means common. And it's actually used down in verse 44. I'll show you this. Look at verse 44. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. That's the word koina. Right? The word fellowship is the word koinonia. You can even hear it. They sold their possessions and property and distributed uh, the proceeds to all as any had need. Because this is what families do. You see it looking out for each other. They had needs and they, they met them. Now, there's two mistakes you can make with this type of passage. The first one is what is not being described here is some kind of socialism or communism, right? That is very popular in our culture uh, right now is uh, socialism. Um, this is not, hey, everyone gets the same slice of the pie, right? And uh, this equality that someone who's stealing all the money, they get to determine uh, what the slice of the pie you get is, right? This is not government-owned property or the church owns your house or anything like that. This is not, hey, the church giving out free stuff for everyone, for everyone who wants to be lazy and who are greedy and don't want to work. That's what socialism is. Socialism is theft from people who earn it and steal it from you. So if you look anywhere in the world where socialism has been tried, you're going to find millions of people murdered, losses of freedoms, and the gap between the rich and the poor widening. This passage says that they own their stuff. You can even see it. Right? They sold their possessions. You see that? It was theirs. And they said, hey, I'm going to volunteer my stuff up to meet a need. You see? And it wasn't all the time. It wasn't like someone else owned it, you know, and uh, had free reign to just give it out whenever. But it was when there was a particular need. They had their possessions. They volunteered it up to meet real needs in their church family. Now, that's one mistake. And I don't know, most of you here, probably 90% of you are like, mm, get him, Ricky. Well, here's the other mistake. This might be where you're at. This is the 90% in the room. Would be thinking that your stuff is only for you. There's another book. Uh, this is a definite nerd alert here. Uh, by J.R.R. Tolkien called The Hobbit. And in The Hobbit, there's this dragon, Smog. Right? And Smog lived down where the dwarves are. And he had all their gold, right? And he's down there swimming in the gold. And, and if anybody comes up in there and tries to take Smog's gold, he's going to light them up. Right? Don't be Smog. Don't be Smog. That is the message, right? Um, your life is not yours. All your stuff is not yours. Look at uh, Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, I think that pretty much covers everything, belong to the Lord. All your stuff, all your money, all your house, all your food, all your health, all your talents, all your time, all your energy, everything, all your intellect has been given to you as a gift by God so that you can use it when anybody has a need to be a blessing, love and serve other people. Listen, we can just rail against socialism all we want. 
the socialists are trying, the communists are taking everything. And that may be true. But here's the deal. We can be just as greedy withholding love from our brothers and sisters in Christ when someone is in need or not positively using your stuff to love other people, including your house and everything that you have. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. In other words, they shared their lives. They shared everything they have out of love. And that's what real love looks like. I'm not talking about words here. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about real love. It looks like looking out for each other. And the reason they did all these things is because they were alive. They had been spiritually awakened. Right? And that's the third leg on the stool was they were living. This church was alive. Look at verse 42 again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, check this out at the end, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. I don't know if you noticed this or not, but man, they ate a lot, didn't they? They ate together. Verse 46 says, and they broke bread from house to house and they ate their food. (laughs) Scholars go back and forth about whether um, breaking of bread right here is talking about the Lord's Supper or it's just talking about just a regular uh, dinner. Uh, at your house. But it doesn't really matter because uh, during the early church, when they celebrated the Lord's Supper, which we're going to do here um, shortly, it was part of a much larger meal. So it's both. They ate together. This is what families do, by the way. Families eat together. Uh, Listen, does anybody want to debate with me that a family who eats together is healthier? I didn't think so. Right? And fish is... (laughs) I mean, I'm ready. I mean, I got my, I got my, uh, uh, my Harvard uh, Medical School reference here. Ann Fischel, she's an associate clinical professor of psychology at Harvard Medical School. She's the founder of the Family Dinner Project. Yeah, Harvard gets it right every once in a while. She says there's been more than 20 years of dozens of studies that document that family dinners are great for the body, physical health, the brain, academic performance, cardiovascular health. Regular dinners are associated with lower rates of depression, anxiety, substance abuse, eating disorders, tobacco use, early teenage pregnancy. Sounds like it's a good thing to eat together. Life is found at the table together. This is why coming over here Every Sunday and celebrating the Lord's Supper is so important because life is found there. All right, here's what I mean by that. Here's what I mean. When you go over and you celebrate the Lord's Supper, here's what that means. You showed up for the family meal. When you come every Sunday and you dunk the bread in the juice, it means you're here. And it's a continual reminder that you believe the gospel that you still believe. That's what, that's what the Lord's Supper is. Baptism is your initiation into the church, initial belief of the gospel. Lord's Supper is a sign that you continue to believe the gospel. That's what it is. It's a weekly reminder that Jesus died for you so that you could be adopted into his family. All right? And by the way, this is also why we eat together as community groups. Right, because families eat together. All the things that we have mentioned thus far in this passage are evidences of the Spirit's work in this church, that the Holy Spirit had been poured out. Well, that's what happened uh, on the first day of the church. Jesus rose from the dead. He ascended, exalted, ruling and reigning, and he poured out his Spirit uh, on the church. And in verse 43, look at this. 
Everyone was filled with awe, that is wonder, amazement, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now, I hear people say from time to time, uh, they're, they're disappointed and they say, why don't we see the wonders and signs that the, like the early church did? I'm going to answer that for you. You ready? We don't have any more apostles. How about that? Isn't that what this passage says? Who was doing it? The apostles were doing it, right? See, God had blessed the apostles uh, to be the foundation of the early church. They were performing the same signs and wonders that Jesus was doing to say, hey, these dudes you need to listen to. These are the people I want you to listen to as evidenced through their miracles. And they went out and established the church and wrote um, the New Testament. But here's the deal. We might not have the apostles, but guess what? Nothing else is missing. Out of this whole passage, that's the only thing that is missing. We don't have the apostles living here with us uh, today. And if, any, if anyone is on TV writing a book or claiming to be an apostle, they are a liar and a false teacher and probably a heretic. Nothing has changed. We have everything in this passage but the apostles. Uh, my family uh, from Texas told me about how um, last winter it got super cold there and just completely shut down the power grid. Just completely shut down uh, uh, the power there. They didn't ha have any power. Here's my point. God's power grid isn't down. Right? His power is always at work. His power is always available to us. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. The Holy Spirit dwells amongst us. That Jesus Christ is still at work in the world, doing stuff in the world. Yeah, all the stuff that we read about in the Bible is real. Jesus is at work in the world. And we ought to be filled with the same sense of awe that this passage talks about right here. Everyone was filled with awe. We ought to be amazed when we look and we're looking for the right things. What the Scriptures promised would actually happen. And look what it says in verse 46 and 47. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. Look at this. This communion was alive. There was joy. There was sincerity. They were praising God. Do you see that? They had a heart full of gratitude. and They had something to praise God for. We ought to as well. What? Yeah. You know, uh, people got all excited about cheap gas at Sheets recently, didn't they? Man, their cars were lined up. They had 522 blocked up. I said, man, I don't care about that gas. I'll pay. I'm not sitting there for hours trying to get me a little bit of gas. Right? The fuel of the Spirit is completely free. It's not discounted. Like, man, you got to try hard. you got to work hard. you got to do this, do that. Work yourself into a frenzy and, and all these different things. No, it's free to us. He is, offers himself free to us in Christ. We have everything that we need in Jesus. All of who God is dwells in Christ. All of who Christ is is, dwells within us by the power of the Spirit. Do we need something else? You see, here's the deal. The church of Jesus Christ is alive and well in the world today. That God is with us, that God is amongst us, and that God is at work in and through us, even here in this community, because he said so, and he is faithful to his promises, and we ought to worship him. We ought to praise him because of all that he's doing. I want to end with this. Look at verse 47 right there. They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Check this out. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. See that? 
New people were coming out. New people were being added. People were getting baptized and added to their number. But a question to you is, who did it? Who did it? Every day, the Lord Jesus did it. He did it. And he didn't just do it then and stop. The whole mess- Here's the message of the book of Acts. You want to know what it is? It is about what the risen Lord Jesus continues to do through the church in the world today by the power of his Holy Spirit. That is the whole message. The whole message of the book of Acts is to be continued. It is still going on through the church uh, in the world today. That the Lord Jesus still saves people. He still adds people. The Lord Jesus still builds his church in the world today. And that's exactly what you're going to see next week when folks get baptized. You're going to see Jesus adding to those who are being saved. And listen, it is only by his grace and his strength and his help that we can do any of these things. It's the Lord who does it, and that's why we got to pray. We end with verse 42 again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, look at this, and to prayer. They recognized they were absolutely dependent upon God for everything, for all these things. And that's, that's what we want to do as well. We want to be a church that's alive. And that only happens as we look to Christ, as we look to him, as we seek him, as we pray to him. And that's what we want to, we want to do now.